Welcome to the Resilience Report, where each week we share the latest on companies engaging in inspirational solutions for our planet and engage with ecopreneurs and lighthouse leaders disrupting the respective industries in pursuit of better, more resilient business. I'm your host, Florence Scott. Thank you for joining me as we dive into this week's report. My next guest is Hassan Shariar, who I had the privilege of working with a number of years back when we were both in the renewable space. Hassan describes himself as a self-starter who leverages his technical knowledge and commercial expertise to guide teams through the multitude of challenges inherent in renewable energy projects. He brings over a decade of experience in realizing wind energy projects across Canada, projects that offset over 1 million tons of CO2 emissions every single year. Prior to founding Adapter, Hassan was responsible for wind turbine sales and contract negotiations at a Tier 1 global wind turbine manufacturer. In this role, Hassan served as the commercial lead for over $800 million worth of equipment supply and maintenance contracts, and was also instrumental in enabling the first large-scale wind diesel project in Canada at a diamond mine. The project currently offsets the burning of 4 million litres of diesel fuel every year. In addition to his role at Adapter, Hassan serves in a voluntary capacity as the president of Windshare, a cooperative which owns the exhibition place Wind Turbine located in downtown Toronto. At Windshare, Hassan is leading a new vision for the cooperative's next chapter. Hassan has an engineering background, having graduated from McGill University with a Master of Engineering degree in Mechanical Engineering. I always enjoyed speaking with Hassan, and today's interview is no exception. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Resilience Report, Hassan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lauren. Glad to be here. Very excited. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you on. Um, To help set the context for our listeners, could you share a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? I could say that I'm one of the many individuals, a lot of the audience probably as well, who believe that uh, you know we we need to be better at how we produce our energy, more responsible way for producing energy, and I guess um, um, I'm probably a, a very fortunate subset like Lauren, who has had the opportunity to actually act on it. You know? uh, we've had the opportunity to uh, really shape a part of the electricity landscape here in Canada. Uh, my background is in wind energy. I've been in it for over ten years. Uh, following that, uh, decided to found a company uh, around clean tech, which is called Adapter. That's what I do. And so, you know, going forward from uh, from my professional perspective, um, I'm the jack of all trades. That's the life of an entrepreneur with the belief that uh, we can do something uh, going forward for our future generations. And you mentioned you've been in the wind industry and clean tech for over a decade, and it's gotten very popular for lack of a better word right now companies are getting very invested in terms of sustainability but that has not always been the case what was it that sparked your interest to get involved that long ago well this that's a that's a while ago so if we're talking about what brought me to the renewables sector uh, it was this ted talk by um uh, well he was a boy at that time his name is uh, william kamkawamba you have a chance check out his ted talk it's fantastic it will give you shivers 
So William Kamkabamba inspired me to pursue renewables, really, and and that's what it started off. And that was probably in 20, 2007 or something like that. Yeah, and then there, and I got the opportunity to work in the, uh, in the wind sector through the company Enercon. And for those of you who might be interested, the Lawrence model right there is an Enercon model. <laughs> um, Thanks for noticing. Yeah, that's uh, very unique. Uh, and so, yeah, that was uh, that was my involvement starting off in the renewable sector. William, come, come on, but check it out. And to get everybody on the same page and, you know, ideally, hopefully we're going to have listeners from all around the world. Can you give us a little bit of background as to the state of renewables in Canada, which is where your company primarily operates? So I am probably going to have a, a, a narrow perspective on this because, you know, there are so many things that are going on as it is today. So maybe one way to frame this is, Renewables really started small, like any new technologies uh, back in the uh, early 90s, going up to the 2000s. But what really kicked it off was some of the uh, motivations around policies. And then those policies that were shaped by individuals that wanted to bring these new technologies into the ground as an option for uh, power generation, they really made it happen. And so the early 2000s, mid 2000s, wind kicked off. And very recently, solar has been very, very competitive. So the state of technology is optimal from a from from the renewable technology standpoint. Okay, uh, where we currently stand is that the t- technology has matured, the industry has gained a lot of experience, and they have matured in, in terms of executing. So technology has matured, the people have matured, the market. Policies have matured, but the challenge now is interfacing and integrating all of these maturities uh, and, and, and how do they tie in with how our grid is currently structured. Our grid was built 150 years ago. Right? It was not designed for renewables. It was mm-hmm. designed for something else. Mm-hmm. So the grid got more and more complex over the years for a different set of technologies. And now they have to deal with and I say they have to deal with because the new technologies are providing new kind of value propositions. So the interface and merger areas are becoming more and more critical. And, and, and that is where we are today. We have very mature technology. We have great and competent people in the renewable energy space. We have uh, a goal of a sustainable future. Everybody agrees to it, right? But we also have legacy systems in how that energy is delivered to the consumers. And so adapting that legacy system is going to be the most critical aspect on how we can move forward. And that's where we are today. Would you say that that's the biggest challenge that the renewable space is facing right now is how to connect into the grid? And if not, are there other kind of bottlenecks that you see happening right now? And then on the flip side is the biggest opportunity you see right now is that there's a genuine groundswell of interest in terms of these alternative forms of energy? Um, so the biggest challenge, I mean, you, if you look at what's going on in the States, there's a lot of potential for decarbonization. So they're very coal heavy. Uh, so there's lots of opportunity for decarbonization and, and renewables are hands down the best way to do. But the biggest challenge that I'm, I'm using the States as an example here, um, biggest challenge they're now facing is the backlog of projects in the interconnection queue. Hmm. And, and basically, you have proponents that come up and say, hey, I have this project, dear utility, 
could you assess and let me know how if I can interconnect? Utility takes some time and then assesses all the potential projects that might be developed uh, over that time frame and gives an answer. But by that time, the there are other developers that have proposed new projects. So the interconnection queue is now super long. The cost for interconnecting renewables is super high. And so now you have this kind of slowdown of being able to deploy the most efficient generation systems that's out there. So that challenge exists for the US because they're full on decarbonizing. That challenge mm -hmm. also exists here because the grid architecture is pretty much the same. And that's why you know, utilities and system operators are now thinking, of, wait, how do, I, how do I mitigate the ability to incorporate more renewables? And so storage is becoming a big topic. Again, it's, it's more of a reactive approach that we are seeing in the market rather than a proactive approach. So storage now is being pushed because of the reaction towards the renewables that were deployed. But maybe we should be thinking proactively, what should we be deploying really to solve the needs of the next 5, 10, 15? Just, just a few barriers to overcome. Just a um, <laughs> because I want to get our listeners to, to better understand Adapter and the work that you're doing there. Could you maybe help explain two, I guess, bridge concepts that will get us there? One is that of renew, uh, hybrid renewables and the other one is microgrids. And maybe just assume that listeners might be coming from the renewable space, but they might be coming from a completely different industry. So you might just want to level set the description there. This is a tough one. Um, this is a very tough one. Because we're, we're talking about a very complex system, a yeah. system that has been developed over decades. So the simplest way to think about it, and, and I've been trying to figure out for myself as well, is I talk to my friends and they're like, Hassan, what do you really do? <laughs> um, what is Adapter really all about? Here is the analogy that I've come to really like, uh, if you think about it, let's, so, so Lauren, let's say you're going to UK, you take your, you take all your devices and your power outlets and you know, power plugs and whatever for your laptop, go to the UK, try to plug in your two pin into the three flat pin. You can't. No. Yeah. Right? What if the only solution you had was to call an electrician, change out the outlet before you can plug it in? Yeah, not not quite convenient. Not quite convenient. And you call up the electrician, it's like, oh, it's going to cost you, I don't mm. know, maybe 150 pounds, and I'm going to go and do it next week. Mm -hmm. That is what happens when we propose renewable projects to connect to the grid. Mm. Okay. We do, not have, we do not have any means of adapting how the grid behaves with how a renewable generation system behaves. And so that interface, which exists in our travel adapter, like, you know, when we're plugging in a power outlet to a different country, yeah, right, that's the solution. You go, we buy it, plug it in, off you go. But today, that system does not exist in the power sector. That's what we are developing. And that's what we want to make sure helps with that speed of transition. Because then you make it easy for the utilities, you make it easy for the developers, and it doesn't cost an arm and a leg for the consumers. Well, this really sounds like probably the, the genesis behind Adapter, because it's not everybody who will go from a, an established career in a well-known company. I mean, you mentioned Enercon is very well-known internationally, um, who goes from that stability to an entrepreneur, which I like to call an ecopreneur. So was it that gap that made you want to do the jump from kind of 
corporate world over to starting your own business? Absolutely. Because, you know, during during my time at Enercon, uh, and, and, and you know, I was fortunate to be involved in some of the more avant-garde projects like this Divec Diamond Mine, which is a wind diesel project and some storage projects. So those were giving me insights on, well, at the end of the day, we as a generator and also utilities as a distributor are means to an end for the consumers, right? So we have to be ready to evolve. We have to be ready to adapt. And so what do we need to do to really meet the needs of the majority of the consumers? I think it's not enough to just focus on the subset of consumers that are more prone to an environmental benefit. To really have an impact, you have to be able to connect with the needs of the majority of the consumers. We have to stop thinking ourselves as, hey, I'm just going to develop renewables. No, it's I'm going to provide a solution which is based on renewables, but it meets all your needs. So that concept really was what started off this need and this approach of making making renewables easy for the stakeholders is what prompted me to start Adapter. Very interesting. And I love that you gave that analogy of the actual adapter going to Europe. I can definitely frame it up in my mind, and I'm sure our listeners can as well. Um, could you then elaborate a little bit further as to what the offering is of your company? So is it really that interconnection point from a technology standpoint between the grid and renewables? Any additional details that you can provide there would be great. Yeah, so um, this is something I can share now because it came a little bit ago. So there are many parts to this. There is the software side, there's the hardware side. On the software side, what we do currently is we provide microgrid uh, control systems. So these are these are programs, these are algorithms that optimize different generations, assets, and, and, and also demand side and so on and so forth. So this is nothing absolutely you know rocket science or cutting edge. But we're doing it in a way that will evolve over time as our power systems evolve, because our power system will change, our consumer behavior will change, the weather is going to change, everything is going to change. So our framework for these type of control systems is set to adapt itself. So that's one thing that we provide and do. The second thing we focus on is, so we're helping communities, uh, uh, proponents deploy microgrids in remote communities. Okay. And um, these projects primarily are funded projects. And the reason is it's everybody's building the, <laughs> developing the wheel from scratch. There needs to be ways of scaling this. Scaling is a very big focus for Enercan and the federal government and so on and so forth, because you can't you can go about doing this in large scale, mm-hmm. all, all municipalities and communities. So the second thing that we focus on is how can we help scale the development of these type of projects that's not just for remote renewables but rural communities municipalities your suburban neighborhood even hmm. uh, you could you could envision a way of scaling projects that just is not doable today so that's another right. area that we focus on is design and scaling so it sounds like technology and the evolution of technology is going to play a big part of all of this progress and not just for adapter, but our, our communities overall. Are there any emerging technologies that you think might play an important role in this space? For example, machine learning or by extension, AI? I have, um, so yes, there's certainly a role. So uh, I have 
two thoughts on this, and primarily because I can't see the future. But uh, we can look certainly at similar systems in the past. And one of the systems that I kind tend to think about when I'm thinking AI, um, maybe the question back to you, Lauren, is mm -hmm. what what application of AI are you referring to? Well, I guess I was maybe leaning more towards machine learning, that probably as we have these systems deployed for a longer amount of time, there might be an ability to, I don't know, for project by pulling in multiple data points, grid usage overall, you're talking about brownouts, is there an opportunity for us to see, is there already going to be any peak utility issues that need to be taken into consideration? So kind of that predictive analytics slightly more elevated to that of machine learning and then potentially eventually AI. Right. Yes. So I, so my thought around this is this machine learning is very good at determining the picture of cats. Okay. Let's take an example. Okay. You put a picture of a cat, the machine learning algorithm has had enough data to recognize that this is a picture of a cat. It mm -hmm. identifies this is a cat makes a recommendation, hey, this is a cat video that you probably would like. Mm -hmm. um, if the cat was changing its look completely to look like a human being, the machine learning algorithm may not be able to recognize the cat anymore. Mm -hmm. Our power system is changing. Mm. So the ability for machine learning to be viable continuously in a very fast evolving system where different kinds of technologies are coming in, the user behavior and profile is completely changing. Nobody knows. Mm -hmm. uh, all overlaid by policy. It may be, it may be within a shorter time frame, you see some predictability. Right. But that predictability is not guaranteed over the longer time frame. Got it. So it might be appropriate in a short time frame, but we're not at a place yet where it can really help in the longer term. And then the challenge becomes if you're not looking at the shorter time frame, do you have enough data to realistically mm. make the prediction? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, this was one of the reasons why when we were building our solutions for microgrid, we decided not to pursue completely uh, a machine learning algorithm or an right. AI based solution because you know, if we're developed with supporting projects over 10, 15, 20 years, they'd have to say, hey, build us a solution in two years time because the system is completely different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's where the adaptive approach uh, is the approach that we have taken. There's, it's a bit of a hybrid between knowing what the system is going to do and then employ machine learning when where applicable. That's, I think that's the most important thing. Understanding where machine learning can be applied is as valuable as the solutions itself. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, also interesting is your timing of becoming a, an ecopreneur, an entrepreneur. Can you share what it's like, what it has been like over the past couple of years? So we've gone through a pandemic, the subsequent supply chain shortages, and then most recently, a lot of geopolitical issues that directly touch energy. I would love to know how you've navigated this and even just, you know, ideas for others who are considering getting into the space of trying to kind of set out on their own for, for providing environmental solutions. I mean, hands down, our sector is lucky. Mm. We are a necessary industry. 
Right. But by we, power system, power sector, mm-hmm. necessary industry, as necessary as healthcare. Right. Right. And so, you know, in terms of disruptions, and, and I know based on, you know, colleagues in the same field and the generation side, utility side, uh, and so on and so forth, not much of a disruption. Okay. Except, except on the supply chain side. So okay. Things have not stopped. It just has slowed down. And okay. It actually has become more critical. It has identified the necessity of our sector. Mm. People, mm-hmm. as well. In terms of folks thinking about getting into the sector, absolutely. I mean, energy makes the world run. There's, it's not going to go away. Beyond your work with Adapter, you are also involved with a nonprofit, which is called uh, Windshare, the Windshare Cooperative. And for anyone who's driven around Toronto, you might have seen a wind turbine that is within the skyline of the city itself. Can you talk a little bit more about this project? Because it goes kind of above and beyond what you're doing in your day to day. But it seems like it's been a very important project to you throughout your time professionally. Yes, and I would credit. Wes, Wes Normington, uh, for getting me involved in this project. Uh, Wes, if you're listening, thank you. You know, the, I got involved in this project because the project was approaching its end of life and there were lots of important decisions to be made around what happens to the project. And, you know, the co-op wanted it to continue. But during the pandemic, I mean, focus is completely separate, right? Everybody's focused on completely different so uh, my involvement in this was to make sure that the project gets to see its second life. And we've been able to set the stage and the foundation for it. There was a recent announcement. Uh, so the project is, uh, uh, was initiated by uh, Windshare Cooperative, one of the first cooperative for renewables. Just as a quick background, uh, they started this like in the early 90s. The project got built in the early 2000s, so 2003 is when it was commissioned. Uh, the project partnered with the utility in Toronto, Toronto Hydro. Uh, so Toronto Hydro and Windshare co-owned the project. And then recently we uh, we had a transition on ownership. Uh, we have a new partner come in with Toronto Hydro, focusing more specifically around utility side of things rather than an owner generator side of things. Okay, okay. Well, very interesting trajectory so far. You did study mechanical engineering, correct? Yes. So I'm very curious because I I happen to work with a number of them within my industry. And would you have any recommendations for either soon-to-be graduates or those even who are kind of mid-career mechanical engineers and thinking about doing a transition over towards the renewable sector? It's It's a very easy transition for MechEng folks. I think if I think back, and again, it's going to be a very sliver of experience, just a very personalized experience, but I've, I've, I've realized that folks that do, do mechanical engineering through their university, uh, they're exposed to a number of different areas, so they, they, they tend to be more versatile. Mm. That versatility is absolutely necessary if you're looking into the renewable energy space. Uh, so it's a natural fit. I would say there's a lot of mechanical engineers in renewables. So if you're in mechanical engineering, this is a good path. <laughs> and then, you know, we were talking off camera before we, we started recording and we were talking about the genesis behind 
the resilience report is really kind of helping keep people stay engaged and motivated of trying to be involved, even when the landscape can seem really heavy. Do you have any resources, whether it's an Instagram account or a blog or podcast that you listen to that kind of helps keep you engaged, even when maybe the news can feel a little bit heavy? Okay, so personally, I stay away from all of that. <laughs> um, Great. Well, what, what what is it that then works for you? Um, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna share what it takes or what it has what I've learned over the past few years going on my own and and, and pursuing um, these ideas around adapter. One thing is to learn how to fail and have that. Okay. Failure be personal. Failure teaches you how to do better next time, but it doesn't teach you how to be persistent. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't think any kind of uh, social media will teach you how to be persistent. Mm-hmm. You can only find out by failing. That's the sad part, but that's the only way you can find out what's your level of persistence. And so if, if you want resiliency, you have to go ahead and fail rather than yeah. seek motivation. Because mm. if you seek motivation, that's not going to tell you what your level of persistence is. And I think persistence is inborn. Can't learn it. Well, that, that's very fair. And, and you know what? I think that just naturally takes us to our last question, which I like to ask all of our guests is, what do you think it's going to take for businesses and leaders to be resilient going forward? That's a, that's a tough one. So ultimately, it's people that run businesses. And forming a cohesive team you know, it needs everybody, all kinds of folks, all kinds of capabilities. You cannot have one type of person across the board. So in terms of building resilience, building the ability to build a good team that can work well together is by far the most powerful thing that an organization can do in terms of resilience. And maybe, you know, to give that great team that you've built momentum, that ideology, it's also important. And somebody needs to carry that, uh, that flagpole. Uh, so two things, find the flagpole or flag bearer, build a good team and be resilient. Well, I cannot wait to see what Adapter does next. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lauren. Really happy to be here. And everybody, follow Lauren's other <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Thanks. I hope that you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Resilience Report. If you would like to hear and see more, be sure to check out at the Resilience Report on YouTube, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Until we connect again, remember, even on the darkest of days, we all have the opportunity to be a lighthouse for others as we collectively pursue better, more resilient business.